What is up, guys, and welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. I am the one, the only Shane Squatch. And I'm Oren. And uh, this week for you guys, not too many news and updates, but of course, we got to have to run through the front of house stuff. But before we get into all of that, news and updates, uh, Bizarre Inquiries is up and functioning now. So we uh, dropped our first test run onto the Patreon. Uh, we want to re-record the first episode, which might actually be out by the time this episode comes out. But if not, it'll end up dropping right after. Uh, but we kind of formulated some more of an idea for it, and it's going to kind of run the course as we start going with it, and it'll get a little bit tighter, sound a little bit neater. Uh, but essentially, we want to be able to discuss your guys guys questions that you suggest to us and uh just to give some examples of what some of the questions might be uh two uh, two questions we already got so far is uh with all the technology getting better every year when do you think there will be solid evidence of the proof of the paranormal and another one is what if we could have a fully transparent archaeological investigation into what lies under and on the Arctic continent. So just to give you guys a rough idea about the types of questions you could ask, uh, you could even ask, like, what if an alien invasion happens tomorrow? And uh, actually, during March, we're going to be doing a specific show for that, give you guys a little bit of a sneak peek on what we're doing. Uh, or, and if you want, I'll, I'll let you kind of explain our idea that we're going to be trying to run into uh, March, and then I'll just add on to the end of it. So uh, to kind of get in the March Madness spirit, we're going to do a like cryptid bracket March Madness tournament. Uh, we're going to, you know, pit whatever, 8, 16, 32, how many cryptids we end up getting uh, into a tournament. And we're going to see who comes out on top. So uh, that's basically going to be the Bizarre Inquiries content for the month of March coming up. And for that, we will not be keeping that on the Patreon. That will be on YouTube, so everybody can come and check it out. And if anybody, when we get a little bit closer, don't start sending them now, um, ha picks a specific cryptid that they want to see on it, um, whatever the winning cryptid is at the end, because we're going to run a computer-simulated bracket on top of us actually discussing it so that the winner gets, gets decided by the bracket. And uh, whatever camp you guys pick, say like you pick Bigfoot, for example, you think is going to end up winning the match altogether, Whoever picked Bigfoot at the end, we're going to do a random number poll, and the winner of that is going to win some type of giveaway prize, uh, possibly a shirt, possibly a shirt, a sticker pack, maybe a poster. We'll figure it out when it's a little bit closer, but we want to get you guys involved a bit. Um, we're going to be doing that all live on YouTube so you guys can watch and discuss it with us as we're doing the episodes. But again, uh, whatever camp you pick, at the end of it, whoever the winner is, whoever has is under that winner, we're going to do a random number generator, and the winner of the bra bracket is going to win some type of giveaway prize. 
And as always, guys, reach out to us through all of our social medias. We're most active on Instagram, but there's also the Facebook, Discord, YouTube, TikTok, you name it. We've got all that stuff going. And uh, there's also the submission form on the link tree. And uh, if anybody wants to report an encounter, you guys can report it to OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com. No matter how big, no matter how small, whether it be paranormal, cryptids, UFO, alien, weird anomalous things, I want to hear about it. And uh, possibly, you know, you could either one be a guest on the show. Uh, we could even read it in the beginning of the show and give you a shout out. Or if I'm close enough, I can even come and investigate it. If you want to just keep it between us and just have somebody to talk to about it, that's totally plausible too. Uh, whatever you guys want to do, we'll have some back and forth. But don't forget to report your encounters to OMM Encounter Reports at Outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree and there is a specific email for that. And uh, if you guys want to support the show, a couple different ways to do so. Number one is to join the Patreon. Over there, you'll get things such as early access to the show, lives of the show, live replays of the show, uh, exclusive merch store discounts, uh, exclusive giveaways, and a lot of other extra stuff. There's multiple tiers, so figure out which one suits you the best. One of the things will be the Patreon exclusive shows, such as Bizarre Inquiries, of course. And uh, if anybody has any suggestions on how the... Uh, Patreon can improve. I am all ears and I would absolutely love to hear it because I want to try to coordinate that and make it so it's even more so what you guys want. And uh, just off the bat, uh, you also get inquiries of all reality with that too. So you get multiple shows all in one place. So it's a lot more bang for your guys buck. And uh, beyond that, you guys can support the show through by donating through Red Circle, which is our RSS host for the show. And if it doesn't give you some type of option to leave a personalized message, let us know that you guys donated. And of course, we want to give you a shout out and give you give appreciation where appreciations do. Uh, number three, you guys can go and pick up some awesome stuff from the Open Minds Media merch store. Uh, I dropped a lot of new designs on there relatively recently, and hopefully, I will be dropping some more designs on there soon. And uh, if you guys want to keep tabs on us on Instagram, Facebook, I do drop random promo codes here and there. Or like I was mentioning, you guys can always join the Patreon and get exclusive merch store discounts depending on which tier you guys pick. And uh, number four to support the show, you guys can uh, leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify, and I will read them on the show, give you guys a big shout out, uh, help out the algorithm, make it so more people are able to see the show, keep growing it organically. And speaking of that, of course, you guys can always share the show through word of mouth with friends. If you think somebody would really enjoy an episode or go to the YouTube or TikTok and possibly send them a clip of the show, get them interested, pull them in, uh, any of that, always greatly appreciated. And a big shout out and thank you to our buddies Rick and Hans with I Know Squatch. Uh, big thanks to them for supporting the show and for being a sponsor. Uh, I'm wearing an I Know Squatch shirt right now. Shane's got his Whoop hat on. So always got the Whoop hats. <laughs> yep, representing as always. So uh, definitely go check them out. Uh, they make some cool shit. We love it and uh, wear it all the time, even before we were sponsored. So um, that's yeah, why we had to hook go. it up, of course, is because yeah. we were wearing it anyways. Like you might as well just get something official going. <laughs> exactly. So uh, definitely go check that out. And if you guys are looking for other cool shit to check out, um, Joe at Crypto Theology is always killing it with his uh, cryptid and alien and high strangeness designs. And I know that he is in between convention seasons right now, so he's going to be dropping a lot of new designs soon. So make sure you guys check over there regularly, follow on Instagram, all that fun stuff to see any new designs that he might be dropping. On top of I Know Squatch, I was just talking to him a couple days ago, and uh, they have a lot of new awesome stuff that they're going to be dropping soon that they're giving me the first little view on. So, of course, follow them on Instagram and uh, keep tabs on that also. 
And uh, beyond that, if all my, for all my paranormal investigators out there, don't forget to go and check out the Chattergeist, the all-in-one paranormal investigating device. It's my absolute favorite. I take it out with me anytime that I go. And if you guys have any technical questions on it whatsoever, you guys can hit up Barry over there on Dimension Devices. He's the guy that developed and programmed the thing, so he'll be able to answer any of those questions that you guys might have. And if you guys decide that you guys want to scoop one, don't forget to use our affiliate link. We greatly appreciate it. And it goes towards helping out the show, make it so we can get out to more events, do more stuff with you guys. On top of the fact that, you know, as we keep climbing and being able to speak at events, you know, we might even get get to go on to events even easier because we won't have to actually pay for a table and stuff. We can just go out there, do our presentation and get to meet more of you guys, which is, of course, always fun. But uh, everything that we've mentioned is all available on the link tree, which is available down in the show description. So tonight's episode is another one that's been in the works for months at this point. Uh, Shane had the idea to do this episode a while back. We were originally going to run it as a bite-sized bizarrity, and as we're prone to do, it ended up being a little too long for a bite-sized <laughs> bizarrity. Shane just kept adding to the notes, and so here we are. So uh, this is another one that I'm excited to tackle and learn about a little bit. So uh, Shane, why don't you tell everybody about tonight's topic? I like to uh, be precise about it, man. If I find any additional details, I got to add them. I hate leaving out details, man. That kind of stuff drives me crazy. It's my OCD. I just, I, I originally wanted to do bite-sized bizarreties, but after seeing how we always turn everything out, like at this point, I don't think it's possible with us because we have too much back and forth on top of the fact that we both just fill up our notes with every possible detail that we feel is important, which is honestly most of the details when it comes to certain cases. But uh, as far as tonight for you guys, I have uh, the Kentucky Meat Shower which uh, is a weird anomalous event. So a little bit different than what we've been doing on the show, but we figured it'd be a good thing to uh, mix in. So for anybody that doesn't know about it, let's, uh, let's hop into it. So the Kentucky Meat Shower. A bizarre event known as the Kentucky Meat Shower shook the small town of Olympia Springs and puzzled scientists for years. What exactly happened? And could there be a plausible explanation behind the unusual occurrence? Let's dive into the archives, explore the theories, and unravel the enigma of the Kentucky Meat Shower. And uh, not that kind of the Kentucky Meat Shower. Keep the uh, keep that keep your dirty minds off to the side. Nobody wants that type of meat shower. And I know what you guys are thinking out there. <laughs> this isn't Bizarre Encounters After Dark yet. <laughs> bizarre Encounters, the Kentucky Meat Spin Shower. <laughs> One of those awkward random websites from like the early 2000s that you uh, click the link not knowing what it is, and then you get blinded by some disgusting thing that's kind of what it sounds like if i'm being honest you with you <laughs> i don't want to be showered by no meat man well hey to each their own <laughs> well i mean there's good meat but the, 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 i don't want this the, this kind of meat especially not because it's it sounds pretty gross as we get going into it but uh before i get too side tangent off on some other random stuff let's uh let's hop back in to fully understand the context of the kentucky meat shower we need to transport ourselves back to the rural town of olympia springs kentucky in the late 19th century. It was March 3rd, 1876, between 11 a.m. and 12 p.m., when the citizens of this small community experienced a truly particular event that defied their understanding of the natural world. Reports from the time described chunks of meat approximately two inches by two inches, and at least one that was four inches by four inches, falling from the sky, covering an area of roughly 100 by 500 yards. According to, New York, to a New York Times article published the following week, the phenomenon occurred right by the home of Mr. and Mrs. Allen Crouch. Mrs. Crouch, who was making soap on her porch at the time, reported that she was 40 steps from her house when the meat started to slap the ground. Meat slap. <laughs> she described that 
that the meat looked grisly and like beef, and seemingly fresh. Mr. Crouch collected a number of samples and handed them off to Olympia Springs proprietor Harrison Gill, who preserved them in alcohol. Naturally, the incident startled the residents of Olympia Springs, and word quickly spread to neighboring towns. Local papers covered the strange phenomenon, attracting the attention of scientists, doctors, and curious minds from around the country. According to the first report in Scientific American, two men who tasted it and judged it to be mutton slash lamb or venison slash deer with the appearance of beef. B.F. Ellington, a local hunter, identified it as bear meat, and L.C. Frisbee, a local butcher, told the Herald that the meat's texture was far from appetizing, adding that a kind of milky, watery, fluid... <laughs> that, that's a hard one to read. A kind of milky, watery fluid oozed out of it. <laughs> I was just imagining that as I was reading it, and it was kind of grossing me out. <laughs> Basically, nobody had any idea what kind of alleged meat this actually was, and it had milky, watery fluid oozing out of it, but people still ate it, correct? Yes. And on top of the fact of, clearly, there was nothing to do back in the 1800s to the point where people are going to attempt to eat some random meat that fell out of the sky. Like, I don't think anybody would do that nowadays. <laughs> well, I mean, not unless you were drunk and your buddy dared you to do it. I mean, even so, if I stabbed a piece of that meat and something watery, milky, and fluid oozed out of it, no way in hell I'm putting that in my mouth. Well, I mean, sometimes just milky, watery fluid oozes out of your meat. It just happens. <laughs> natural. Not that type of meat. <laughs> oh, my mistake. There's a lot of there's a lot of connotations in here that are kind of hard to get over. But hey, we're we like to have fun here. <laughs> this is the double entendre special. <laughs> so hopping back in before we get too gross with it. <laughs> but what could have caused this mysterious meat shower? Possibly meatspin.com. But anyways, scientists at the point proposed several hypotheses, each attempting to explain the unexplainable. One prevalent theory put forth by a local microbiologist, Dr. Leopold Branius, suggested that the Kentucky meat shower may have been the result of a truly extraordinary event, a form of spontaneous generation. According to Dr. Brandius, in his writings in the Sanitarian, the meat may have spontaneously materialized in the atmosphere only to rain down upon the town moments later. He claimed that the meat was likely a type of Gnostic algae, a widespread cyanobacteria that expands into a clear jelly-like mass when rain falls on it, then resembling chunks of meat when it later dries out. The explanation suggested that a heavy rainstorm may have disrupted nearby bodies of water, causing Gnostic to be carried upwards and then rain down in an extraordinary fashion. Charles Fort responded and wrote that the phenomenon wrote about the phenomenon in his book, the Di the book of the damned, which was first published nonfiction work released in 1919, concerning various types of anomalous phenomenon, including UFOs, strange falls of both organic and inorganic material from the sky, odd weather patterns, and possible existence of creatures generally believed to be mythical disappearances of people and many other phenomenon. The book is considered to be the first of the specific topic of anomalies. Fort noted that there had been no rain that day, then went on to explain that the flattened, dry appearance of the meat chunks could have been a result of atmospheric pressure, and noted that nine days later, on March 12, 1876, red corpulus with a vegetable appearance fell over London near the Crystal Palace. 
So what's your thoughts on that, man? It's happened in two places. Like what's, what's the deal with that? And at least from my research, I haven't found anything else yet, but I guarantee you there's probably more cases of this happening that uh, just probably weren't documented that people weren't really paying that hard of attention to. So this is kind of a strange one, I think. Um, this is kind of one of those deals where all the explanations I've seen for it kind of sound ridiculous. You know, it's kind of like we were talking about with the Flatwoods monster a little bit when, you know, you have to have all these ridiculous coincidences to explain how something weird happened. But, you know, like with Flatwoods, you can point to, oh, well, it could have just been an alien. There's not like a smoking gun thing to point to in this case. Like this is, I think, truly a bizarre case. And, um, you know, the thing that I kept thinking of when I was reading your notes uh, before we did the show is the whole concept of like organic UFOs. And we got to give a shout out to our buddies, uh, Justin and Jay at Cryptids of the Corn. They do a whole lot of stuff with like organic UFOs. So uh, you guys definitely check that out if you haven't. But um, that's what I kept coming back to. Like, you know, the whole like Jordan Peele nope idea. Um, but yeah, that's basically where I landed on it so far is, you know, all these scientific explanations. And granted, I'm not a scientist, but they all sound like really contrived to me, <laughs> you know. So maybe it is something as simple as big organic UFOs really high up in the atmosphere. See, this is my theory on it. Hopefully it's not too early in the notes, but I figured it might be a good chance to get into it. So the reason that I started really digging into this was because of all the weird Kentucky uh, portal theories and things that I was working on that eventually will end up becoming a show, but I still haven't fully adapted that into a show yet. But uh, one of my beliefs on it that could theoretically be possible is there's all the different weird missing people events that happen uh, near Kentucky, especially near the cave systems. So theoretically, what if somebody fell into one of the caves, possibly went through a portal, and this could have been the after exhaust of them not necessarily making it through the portal properly? Because like you dig into like the, the Philadelphia experiment, and the people got like fused through the ship, um, like it messed with their, with their, with their atoms on like a microscopic level, like things started blending and shifting into each other. So theoretically, I mean, if somebody went through a portal and again, we don't necessarily know what happens directly on the other side. Like some people have even theorized that you have to become a condensed form of yourself in order to travel through it properly. But anyways, what if somebody went through it and it was just like an after exhaust of essentially somebody getting shredded from going through some type of natural portal that was created underground because again bath kentucky this area is still within like the the mammoth cave district because i mean that covers pretty much the entire state so no i think that's a really cool theory and you know as you were going through that i kept thinking you know one person said it was venison one person said it was bear if it's human meat that explains why nobody knew exactly what it was, you know? And we'll get into that later. There may have been some testing that suggested that it may have been some form of human meat. Ooh. But I guess that's a good spot to uh, get back into it for now. And maybe we can hop back into that in a little bit after we get to the scientific explanations. So, Brandis then gave the meat samples to the Newark Science Association for further analysis, leading to one of the most prominent theories proposed by Dr. Alan McLean Hamilton a professor at Bellevue Hospital Medical College. In his letter, in the medical records, he stated that the meat had been identified as lung tissue from either a horse or a human infant, mentioning that the structure of the two organs are almost identical. 
He theorized that the meat was the result of a flock of vultures carrying rotten meat in their beaks or talons, but then got caught up in an updraft created by a passing rainstorm. And then as as they flew overhead, they inadvertently dropped their prey, which rained down on the unsuspecting Mrs. Crouch uh, homestead below. While this explanation may seem bizarre, it offered a potentially scientific explanation for the event. So that was perfect. Next paragraph. <laughs> so this is like the explanation I kept coming across just in the little bit of research I did about this topic before the show. And this one just sounds ridiculous to me. Like, how much meat did these things have to have in their beaks for it to rain down on this one specific area? Like, that just doesn't seem. Plus, how high up would they be that they'd be dropping the meat from their mouth? She would react and hear the meat slapping the ground and not look up and see a flock of birds? Yeah. So, like, all these birds had meat in their beaks and all dropped them at the same point. Like, like we were talking about, it's just, it's too many coincidences stacked on more coincidences, you know? Vultures are too big to, like, miss in the sky. Like, if there's a vulture up in the sky, you can see it for probably, like, a half a mile in each direction if it's flying up. So it's like, assumably, if something drops from the sky, your first reaction is going to be to look up to see if you can figure out where it's coming from. So again, if there was any birds involved, I am guarantee you she would have noticed some type of bird flying by. Like, there's not that much of a free fall that takes, like, three minutes for it to hit the ground before the, so the birds completely get away. Like, it's pretty much dropping, and it's probably hitting the ground within 30 seconds at most of the birds dropping it. So again, you would see the birds up in the sky looking up as a reaction to something hitting the ground. Yeah, I'm all out on the uh, meat and bird's beak theory. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not for that one either. <laughs> but, I mean, it's definitely a scientific explanation. And, I mean, the w- crappy part about it is the fact that most people do relate this as the cause of it. But the more you dive into it, like, if you're just skimming over it, it seems plausible. Just call it a day after that. But if you really start diving into it, again, it doesn't make sense because she would have saw birds. She would have mentioned birds. Especially vultures. Yeah. They're fucking huge. <laughs> no, it, it just seems too specific and again i think it's one of those situations where the quote-unquote plausible explanation is more implausible than that just something truly bizarre happened gives me the uh impression of you know swamp gas it was uh <laughs> it was a weather balloon it, it's that, that same line of things yep or an owl Man, if they had have said it was <laughs> owls with meat in their beaks we'd know for sure then my first explanation would be here's an idea aliens <laughs> I mean, that's definitely possible too, man. Maybe they uh, accidentally shredded somebody when they were trying to do some type of abduction. And 1876, this was before they were really like paying attention to abductions. They were like, damn it, we didn't do this one right. Kick it out of the back of the ship. Nothing to see here. <laughs> Nothing to see here, people. Just shred it so people know what it is. <laughs> this was before they had the technology worked out on how to abduct people properly. So they would just liquefy them and say, fuck it, kick them out the back. <laughs> and milky white ooze comes out of them. however not all scientists were convinced by dr hamilton's theory critics argued that the meat found in the shower did not resemble the carrion typically consumed by vultures additionally the meat was noted to be fresh and even palatable leading some to question how it could have survived the journey from the sky untouched this explanation which hackens back to outdated beliefs about the spontaneous generation of life, was met with skepticism from, a, from the scientific community. The idea that fully formed meat could simply manifest out of thin air denied the laws of 
biology, and physics, leaving many unconvinced. That's something else I was thinking about while you were reading these notes. I mean, this was, what, the 1800s? 1876, I believe. Yeah, so this is a long time ago. So when they say, you know, this stuff was tested and it was horse or human infant lung meat, like, I don't know how much stock we can really put in that, you know? And talking about, like, the idea of, like, life just spontaneously generating, uh, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but that gets back to the idea that people used to think, like, flies just, like, spontaneously generated and they didn't understand, like, maggots on meat and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think this whole story and mostly the explanations have to be taken with a grain of salt as far as, like, just the scientific context of the time. Dude, talk about the time, though, that you just see a bunch of, like, little worms and all of a sudden you have flies everywhere. Like, I guess from that time, it logically makes sense of, like, where did these things come from? They spontaneously yeah, they appeared. appeared. But, I mean, at least from a scientific standing test point, I would assume that the way that they would test this type of stuff is that they would put it under a microscope and probably match up the structure to other things. So that being said, if you're looking at this thing under a microscope, the only things you can realistically compare it to are things that you're already familiar with because you don't have every sample of every type of organic tissue sitting there that you can put them side by side and, and look at them. I mean, you probably have a handful of them, yes, but again, unless you're familiar with what you're looking at, they're probably, again, looking at this under a microscope and just trying to match it or match it with other things that look similar to it. That's that's probably the, the extent of how they could even research into this in the first place. Yeah, and I mean, whatever kind of meat it was probably looked very similar to horse lung meat or infant lung meat anyway. Why know, is it specifically like infant instead of just human? <laughs> yeah, I was kind of curious about that too. But, you know, it's kind of like one of those things like people share like 90% of our same DNA with a banana or whatever. So like, yeah, any meat you're looking at, it's going to look like meat. So. <laughs> I would have asked this doctor, like, how do you know specifically what an infant's <laughs> long meat looks like? Like, well, what kind yeah, of weird stuff are you doing in your questions that it answers? <laughs> what kind of weird stuff are you doing in your lab? My friend, <laughs> uh, the composition of the meat samples were lately later backed up by further analysis performed by Dr. Lewis P. Kastenbine. Kastenbein, I'm going to go with Kastenbein, who presented this theory in the contemporaneous Louisville Medical News, stating that two samples of the meat had been identified as lung tissue, three as muscle, and two as cartilage, likely caused by vultures vomiting as part of a quick escape and also as a defense, defensive method when threatened. Another theory that emerged... Okay, I got to jump in right there. So I think this throws another kink in the whole vulture throwing up meat theory like whatever they were eating had to be pretty fucking big if there was this many pieces of meat and there was like identifiable lung tissue and muscle tissue and cartilage like this wasn't like a fucking mouse or something you know so the fact that there are all these different kinds of supposedly identified tissue i mean that kind of leads me to believe that your portal theory might not be too far off and I mean, especially if it's infant lung meat, I mean, it sucks that at the time, it's not like they were probably like tracking like missing people reports. Otherwise, I'm kind of curious, like if there was potentially like an infant that went missing in this area around that time. I mean, well, and that's something interesting too. like in all David Politis's missing 411 stuff. He talks about how young children are one of the, you know, like primary groups that go missing in these types of situations. It's like you know, very young children, the elderly and like people with mental disabilities are like the three main groups. So if it was 
infant lung meat, you know, that again might tie in with the whole mammoth caves and missing persons and portals and all this stuff, you know? See, it makes you kind of wonder if the portal theory could possibly relate in with, I know that like usually with the missing four and one stuff, usually people refer to like Sasquatch and UFOs, but I wonder if there's also a possibility that like the Fae could play some type of role in this because, you know, kids are getting lured by the Fae, the elderly special needs people, um, would probably be lured in by the Fae because it's like something interesting. They probably come off as like childlike, like, Hey, my friend, come over here. Let's do this. Let's do that. And like old people, I mean, depending on the specific person, you know, there might be somewhat of like the senile aspect to them where they could just disappear in general. But again, I wonder if the Fae somewhat could play a part in this, at least for like the childhood or the children like disappearing. Cause again, time works differently there. You never know what the phase full intention is. People have malevolent and malevolent uh, experiences with these things. So it's like, again, once they're done with it in their world, I mean, even if you hear all these face stories about them eating children and stuff, kick out the extra meat, you know, like who knows? <laughs> no, I, I think you're, you're definitely onto something. And like, there is seems to be anyway, a huge connection between like fairy lore and the whole missing person, stuff like even down to like you know the strange um weather changes that happen with these missing persons cases and you're like you know fairies were supposedly uh they traveled on storms and then you know there's like weird details like um a lot of people who go missing in these missing 411 cases they're either like picking berries or in berry fields and that has connections with the face so i think there is definitely a connection between missing people and the faith, whatever that phenomenon that we call the faith actually is. And we might get uh, into that a little bit more in uh, future episodes we got coming up. Ooh. And uh, I mean, just adding on to the whole concept of the weird weather changes that happen. I mean, theoretically, if you open up a portal, there is some type of like energy shift that's going to be happening. So, I mean, the weird weather that happens could potentially be a side effect of a portal opening in general. And maybe that's why the phase associated with storms is because they have to open up some type of doorway to get from their world into our world. And in turn, weird weather effects end up happening because of changes in pressure in the area or a release of energy or something like that. Assumably, there's going to be some type of change to both realities if you open up some type of portal door, be it even if it's energy drain, storms, like I, I would assume that there's going to be an effect. There wouldn't just be like you open up the portal, that's it, and nothing on the outside gets affected by it on either side. Yeah, I mean, I think that sounds perfectly logic or as logical as this kind of stuff can sound. You know, so. <laughs> it sounds logical to us. <laughs> I, I didn't know we were going to get so deep into uh, missing people and portals on this episode, but uh, no, I, I think this is a fun one. This is why it's we a, leave it open I, for the side tangents, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot more to unpack in this one than I think might appear on the surface. That's why it couldn't be a BSB, man. That's why it just ended up turning into a full episode. <laughs> We're already past the point of a BSB now already. We're not even halfway through the notes yet. Yeah, this is not bite-sized. <laughs> I mean, the meat was bite-sized, but not the episode itself. And there might be another bite-sized portion of how people could potentially try this meat, but we'll get into that a little bit later here. <laughs> another theory emerged that was the meat might have fallen from the lunch basket of a passing balloonist. This is the best one. Per Man, that's right up there with <laughs> the uh, Flatwoods monster was an owl. Dude, again, like, you hear meat slap the ground, you don't look up and go, oh, there's a fucking balloon. Like, <laughs> they're just MIA as soon as the meat hits the ground. The birds, the balloons, all of it. <laughs> and how much, uh, 
what partially digested meat could the balloonists have had in their lunch basket? Apparently, they had whiskey up there with them too. And I mean, I, that wouldn't be the milky thing. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're drinking Bailey's up there, man. I don't know when Bailey's was invented, but they're eating meat and drinking Bailey's. And that's may may have been what the milky white substance was. <laughs> yeah, don't drink and balloon. No, it's that's a terrible the idea. Of the story. I mean, in all fairness, though, don't drink any milky white alcohol by itself anyways maybe put a little dab in your coffee but don't be drinking no fucking meat with <laughs> straight baileys like that just that just sounds like an awful idea <laughs> drink your meat juice yeah drink your meat juice how could you ever have your pudding if you don't drink your meat juice <laughs> per harold j lawrence smith a chemist working with the samples suggested it was dried frog spawn that had been pulled up from the local swamp by the wind <laughs> There you go, swamp gas. There you go. Close enough to swamp gas. Swamp and frogs. <laughs> as strange and implausible as that sounds, equally strange things have happened. Considering the National Geographic story about the troves of dismembered sneaker-clad human feet that washed up on the Salish Sea as a result of decomposition and strong tides, the answer to the particular mystery come courtesy of three-dimensional computer simulate simulation per Nat Geo. Since the chemists unlocking the meat shower case didn't have fancy computers, they relied mainly on educational hypothesis until recently. <laughs> the aforementioned frog spawn theory was quickly debunked. Instead, Transylvania University professor Kurt Goad, an avid researcher of the meat shower incident, told Mental Floss that the meat was probably dropped by a kettle of vultures flying through the air. Since the species sometimes vomits when threatened, per mental floss, it's possible that a large group of them spewed their launch all over the town to waylay a predator. Although he was weary of the theory that at first, Godi has come around. So I don't know why everybody keeps coming back to this theory. Every scientist is like, yep, it was vultures. But again, like that would have been mentioned in the original story that the lady looked up and saw fucking 10 vultures flying in the sky or something you know like yeah i feel like it wouldn't have been this big of a mystery if they're like oh the, the vultures were throwing up meat yeah that's like a key detail like you would have seen something in the sky like they don't just disappear that damn fast especially if they're flying over the middle of your property up by your porch but that's just me in 2004 as atlantis obscura reports he happened to unearth a surviving chunk buried in storage at transylvania university so he had to had it genetically tested. The test didn't reveal the animal and didn't reveal much else either, he says. The fluid it was suspended in was an alcohol preservation liquid. The cork was estimated to have been over about 40 years old at the time, and it was assumed that that was when the fluid was probably swapped out for what ha may have been formaldehyde for alcohol. These days, the chunk is tucked safely away in an apothecary cabinet at TU's Monroe Moonsnick Medical and Science Museum. Without genetic analysis to nail down exactly what one vulture may have unchunked that fateful March day, Godey enlisted a Cincinnati taste lab to create jelly beans based on the sample's flavor compounds. He described the flavor of the, meat of the treat as strong enough that I would have immediately spit out that meat with that taste, with a lingering chemical aftertaste. In 2004, what Harry Potter ass shit is this? <laughs> That's exactly what I was gonna say. I guarantee you, bro. They probably used this as one of those, one of the bean flavors for the fucking Harry Potter jelly bean flavors they do. Yeah, this is probably the like throw dog, up flavor. <laughs> yeah, there's like dog turd flavored ones and shit. Yeah, yeah. 
This was the puke flavor. This is what they're yeah, actually they ran using. Went to the store and got some Harry Potter jelly beans and called that good enough. I want to know why this guy was like, "All right, we got to make this into a jelly bean." Yeah, that seems <laughs> oddly specific. Dude, I want to know if we can get our hands on these. Like, I don't want to try it. I just want to have one for the sake of saying that I have it. I'm going to put it in like a little capsule bag and put it in the cabinet behind me. Yes, go to your local Target and buy you some Harry Potter, Weasley's Every Flavor Beans, and there you go. You you got the Kentucky Meat Shower Bean in there somewhere. I'm just going to pop in and be like, hey, bro, you got any of that Meat Shower Jelly Beans? <laughs> They'd be like, what in, the, what in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> meat Shower Jelly Beans would be the best name for a punk band ever. <laughs> I feel like they might tell me to go to the uh, XXX store next door to and ask that same question. I'd be like, no, nah, not that not that kind of Meat Shower Jelly Bean. <laughs> You have to be very specific. You mean yes, Kentucky meat shower jelly beans. They're like, yeah, go down south and go to a, go to an XXX store. I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, no, you're not getting what I'm asking here. <laughs> With a lingering chemical aftertaste. Oh, I already read the part. In 2007, he solicited feedback from other taste testers at Mount Sterling's annual fall festival court days. So, there- what a better thing to do at a fall festival <laughs> than eat fucking. Meat beans. <laughs> Meat shower beans. Can you just imagine that guy showing up? Probably looking like this a crackpot scientist. This is the fucking story ever. Like, <laughs> it, it, the deeper we get into it, the dumber this gets. I hope this dude just showed up in a lab coat with a bag full of jelly beans and was just dancing around the crowd like, try my meat flavor jelly beans. There's like no part of this that's logical. <laughs> Not one. Even the more recent parts. It's like 120 some odd years later and this guy's just running around trying to pass out jelly beans at a fall festival. <laughs> Meat flavored jelly beans is only slightly more believable than fucking vomiting vultures. I really, really hope he didn't tell people what it was, and he was just like, "Try this jelly bean. Let me know what you know, let me know what it tastes like." And they were just like, "Oh, what the hell did you give me? <laughs> what is in this?" Definitely the dog turd flavor. <laughs> were those out in two thousand four? Did like do you Probably. think people just thought they were messing with them? <laughs> like, when did the first Harry Potter movie come out? When they started making the what are they called? Burt something jelly beans, right? I'm sure all the Harry Potter fans out there are probably going crazy like, this is what it's called! <laughs> I mean, no, the movies are definitely out by then. I think the first one came out in like 2001 or something. So I know the books were out. It's just a matter of when were they actually producing products for the movie. <laughs> but uh, I think like Jelly Belly or whoever makes jelly beans had like gross flavors too because I remember having like a box of them that I got for Christmas when I was a kid one year so. Talking about There's gross flavors, have you tried the buttered popcorn? That is disgusting. They probably taste like vulture meat. Yeah. <laughs> vulture meat, air quotations. <laughs> baby lung meat. Baby, yep. Baby lung tissue meat. Or horse. Could be potentially be horse, too. Because <laughs> this is all horse shit. <laughs> yeah. Many compared the flavor to ham. Lamb that had been that had started to turn and pre cooked bacon. There's too much there. stopping because it's just like, how do you respond uh, to this? Ham. Okay. <laughs> We're good with that one. Lamb that has started to turn and pre cooked bacon. Who the fuck knows what lamb that started to turn or pre cooked bacon tastes like? Especially in 2004. Maybe in 1876. Maybe because, you know, you have to eat some spoiled meat here and there. But in 2004, like, who's just like, hmm. I'm just going to cook up some bacon. You know, I want yep, to eat a piece of this raw. definitely spoiled lamb. <laughs> this story's so fucking stupid. Right. Also came up. 
Glody mused that the preservatives in pre-cooked bacon products might add a flavor to the bacon that somewhat matches the chemical taste. I sensed myself when I tasted the jelly beans. My absolute favorite was strawberry <laughs> strawberry pork chop because that is what was guessed the instant a large man with a beard put it into his mouth. He was certain. <laughs> Who the hell knows what a strawberry lamb chop smells like? Like, what? This large bearded man. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you even add that flavor combination together? Are you having like strawberry milk and then you are eating a pork chop? Like, how do you even have those two flavor profiles together in the first place? Uh, I, I got nothing. And apparently he I was, was trying to think of very certain. Clever, but I had nothing. Yeah, I'm, I'm at a loss for words on this one. <laughs> that mysterious bearded man with his weird taste and this flavor profiles. Our ass. I think I'm officially out of jokes. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this one anymore, man. <laughs> yeah, just carry on. Who'd never heard of such a dish? I prefer to just let that remain as a sort of wonder in my mind, so I haven't looked it up at all. I don't know if I will ever think of it as a close, close case, he says. I prefer to think of it as a mystery that was left open because it happened at a time when people didn't need to solve all things. However, theories. Oh, good God, the more they've tried to solve it, the dumber it's got. Oh yeah, ain't that the ain't that the truth? And now the only way that you'd even know what it tastes like is through a jelly bean. And I mean, there's still again like the possibility that the chemical aftertaste may have just been the jelly bean itself, and that may have not have been a flavor in the original meat. Because how can you even match the flavor of what their meat originally tasted like when it's been preserved in alcohol and formaldehyde for years, <laughs> like over a hundred years? This has been an alcohol, and you're going to say this is exactly what it tasted like when it was fresh. No, <laughs> it doesn't work like and that. And these people are wasting years of medical degrees and schooling and God knows how much money to be in a lab somewhere making fucking rotten meat jelly beans. <laughs> hey, at least the good news is it's from tuition costs and not from taxpayer dollars. <laughs> yeah. All of our taxpayer dollars go millions into spaceships that don't fucking work. <laughs> hey, that's more logical than this. And black budget programs. <laughs> However... Theories surrounding the Kentucky meat shower are not restricted solely to natural phenomenon. Some have theorized that the event was a prank or a hoax perpetrated by local residents. Whether out of curiosity, a desire for attention, or even malicious intent, those individuals may have collected animal or even human flesh and scattered it strategically to cause an illusion of a meat shower. And again, how the hell would you do that? Like... Yeah, where did they get this meat from? They had a cannon pole. They're on the other side of the woods, and they just precisely aimed it towards the crotch house and then just fucking launched a bunch of meat out of a cannon pole and they're just sitting there giggling their asses off. Seems legit. Like that's, that's the only way it would make sense. Cause again, like how these, are these people hiding up in the trees and throwing meat? Like <laughs> what? <The owls. laughs> At the time, the Sasquatch didn't have a rock to scare people out of the woods. So he just threw some of his rotten meat and started a whole chain of mystery based in Kentucky. <laughs> While this theory may seem plausible, it lacks... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It lacks substantial evidence that does not oh, account for the ex extensive examination and observations conducted by reputable scientists in the aftermath of the incident. Ultimately, the mystery of the Kentucky meat shower remains just that, a mystery. Despite numerous scientific studies, investigations, and theories put forth, no conclusive explanation has been found to resolve this unnatural event. It has captured the imagination of many throughout the years and remains an intriguing footnote in the annals of unexplained 
phenomena. <laughs> Annals. Annals. <laughs> so, with that, my friends, unless you got some more that you want to get into as far as this meat shower goes, that about can do. Yeah, I, I, I'm officially fucking done with the meat shower. That about wraps it up with all of the meat showering from the sky and luckily also oozing white milky substance. <laughs> yeah. And if you guys enjoyed our explanation of the Kentucky meat shower slash gooey, oozy, milky-like fluid substances, you guys can leave a review or rating for us on iTunes or Spotify. And if you guys leave a five-star review, we will read on the show, give you guys a big shout-out. And if you think that anybody specifically would enjoy this episode, you guys can share it through word of mouth, or you guys can even go to the YouTube or TikTok, and you guys can share some clips that way, get some people pulled into the show. But uh, just a heads up for everybody, what I usually do is the episode drops. A couple weeks later, I'll bring the clip up, and that'll make it so it'll kind of steer people back in. So there may not be the clip up right away, but in a couple weeks, there might be a clip up. So make sure you guys follow the the TikTok and the YouTube, and make sure you guys keep up to date on all that and any other cool video content that we're looking forward to dropping and expanding on in 2024. And as always, reach out to us through uh, social media, through the website. Uh, fuck! We don't have a website. We had a link tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> through the email address, through the Discord, all that good stuff. Y'all know how the internet works. Do the internet things. And every single thing that we've mentioned is all available on the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, I have been the one, the only, the one that they call Shane. And I've been Orin. Orin the Martian. That's what I'm going with. I'm going to start calling you that if you don't call yourself that. Okay. <laughs> and just a reminder to everybody out there, because this has been a really bizarre one, and I know that you guys need a reminder every single week, so I always got to tell you, don't forget, guys, to always, always stay bizarre. 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 Milky, watery fluid? Yeah. <laughs>